0: I have huge respect for my guest today. She has devoted much time to her study and to her research and writing on spiritualism and mediumship. She has a deeper understanding than me, and through asking and listening, I too can move forward in my journey as you can and yours. Let me introduce Maxine.
1: This is Spirited Podcast with your host, Trevor, and a carefully selected guest ready to share their knowledge and experience on their specialist aspect of their work with the spirit world. So grab your notepad and pen, pin your ears back and open your mind. It's time for a podcast session. Answering the questions with Maxine Mayer, part two. So here we go. Next question.
0: Many years ago, I went to a medium and I paid good money and I'm talking good money. And I had a reading from her and she claimed during that reading that she wasn't an ordinary medium. She was able to connect to higher realms on a soul level. Now, in that reading, she claimed that I was once a disciple of Jesus and I came from the planet Sirius originally. Now, by coincidence, my friend at the time that was on the same path as me went to the same person, had a reading, paid the same amount of money and pretty much got told exactly the same information. But generally, take out of that this question, Maxine, can somebody actually connect to a higher level than the rest of us ordinary mere mediums?
2: Yes, if, for example, if we look into our tradition and if we look at the body of work and the body of philosophy that was Silver Birch, you might know that it's a little known fact that Silver Birch was, a, was not just transmitting material to Maurice Barbanell and Hanan Schwaffers home circle and to all of us because it was recorded and written into books. Silver Birch, once or twice, maybe three times, said that he was actually a medium himself giving information, not from him, but from another, perhaps, if you want to use the word, higher source. So Silver Birch was actually a buffer to uh, another source, a greater source, a higher source. So 99.9% of the people walking around on earth, you know, can't access high quality trans material because they themselves are not of a purified great vessel to receive that type of information it's a bad analogy, but consider it a voltage, you know, it's, you know, that kind of voltage would just fry us, you know, but if it was put through certain buffers, we could run at a different higher current or through different electrical buffers, we can, we can have a higher voltage. Uh, And I'm out of my league here talking about electricity, but you, you get the picture about buffers. And Silver Birch uh, said he was a medium on the other side, working with someone else through this material. And that other person, that other entity may have been themselves a a medium for somebody else. And there might have been a string uh, more than two people in that Silver Birch to to buffer down to us the, the philosophy. So, when people say, "Oh, I I work with high highly evolved beings," well, gosh, you must be highly involved yourself to to handle it, or maybe you're working with buffers, or maybe you are suffering from uh, a common um, characteristic in our uh, field called uh, Claire delusion. Uh, so, so, uh, but I don't. I don't cross. I, I, I don't cross out the possibility that highly evolved beings are working through us, but they would probably have to work with mediums on the other side—a chain of mediums, perhaps—to kind of, you know, buffer it down, so to speak.
0: It's fascinating. Again, you mentioned the phrase can of worms. Well, again, that is another one that, for me, opens up a can of worms. Your analogy kind of makes sense to me, and I I do like that. Um, But I I don't know if the question is listed here. It's kind of, uh, we've all heard of mediums that say, oh, I connect to Angel uh, Michelangelo, or they come up with all these fancy angels that they're connecting to. Well, Wow, I'd love to know what college they went to to learn that.
2: Well, that goes back to what I was saying about the, the guide, how we could worship our guides and get a, in, into a terribly backwards relationship with them. You know, I mean, somebody might say, oh, yes, I, I, I work with a, I, I work with a monk, you know, and uh, someone will get up a, a one-upmanship and say, oh, I <laughs> you work with a monk. <laughs> I work with a Buddhist monk. And the third person might come around and say, oh, well, I work with a llama, a Tibetan Buddhist. So there, you know, we're getting into spiritual snobbery and, and I work with angels. You know, well, how do you know they're angels? You know, but who knows? They might be, but they they would have to be, they would have to be buffered, or you would be talking to one of the most spiritually developed, carnated person on
0: this planet. This next question I've got comes from your book, What the Great Mediums Have Taught Us About Spirit Guides. And in it, you quote the medium and you say that uh, or she said she was in the fourth sphere and soon to progress to the fifth sphere. That was her guide that was talking to her or was it? I don't know which way. I can't remember now. But she was in the fourth sphere and then was going to move to the fifth sphere soon. And she would be able to tell Mrs. Russell, what time that progression was and when that progression was going to happen. Now that, to me, when I read it, suggested that time must exist for the spirit world to be able to quote that. And we're so dismissive of there being a linear time in the spirit world. But that sentence in itself contradicts it. What's your thoughts?
2: I know that time exists in this physical existence. It's not strictly linear. We might have mystic moments or moments where where time can loop back, perhaps. And that's all fields and examples that I'm not really aware of, but I know enough just to know that it's not a strict linear progression in this life. In the next life, I would say that there's something like time uh, that we know of, that we experience in this incarnation. I wouldn't say I'm I'm smart enough to describe it, but there would have to be, and it gives comfort to the mind. It gives comfort to the ex- existence to rely on this this thing called li- linear time. I, I'm in the camp that says yes, there is. I don't know enough about it to to talk really intelligently about it, but. I'd like to say that there is a, a today and a tomorrow in the afterlife. It isn't all a perpetual now, but there would have to be, in my small mind, uh, a variation of this, of this linear time thing.
0: It's a difficult question, I must say. I remember years ago, Mia Dolan, one of the fine British mediums of the time, I think it was me that asked her during a workshop, I asked about this time thing, and I said, Surely you can't jump time, surely you can't go forward in time or backwards in time. And her analogy, simple as this may seem, had me thinking for days, weeks beyond, and I've never forgot this. She said, Can you imagine yourself as a stick on a stream and you're flowing with time, the stream of time, where you can remember where you've been, but you don't know where you're going? But you think that's fixed. But what if you could get out of that stream and walk down the bank? Or at the bank, would you not see that you're skipping time or going back in time? And I know that's simplistic, Max, but it's quite a good way of looking at it, don't you think? It is.
2: It is. And I think that that gives a lot of people um, an understanding. And also to go back to what we talked about with the uh, Akashic Records, energy is always in motion or energy is always moving. Uh, It's always vibrating, at least. So... There, there is a, a continuity of time, if you will.
0: As a medium yourself, how greatly would you say your advanced knowledge and understanding has helped in your mediumship? And does it leave you with more questions than if you had had a more naive approach?
2: It helps, but mediumship is experiential. Uh, you learn by doing it. And so, yes, you learn by doing it and you might say, mm, Mm, I did something of this and, oh, that relates to something I know. So that builds on, you know, a body of knowledge or that sticks an experience on a knowledge. Or you could do it the other way. You could be doing mediumship and then later learn something and, ah, you stick knowledge on prior experience. But I think they go hand in hand. You can't totally rely on knowledge. And I'm assuming you're talking about book learning knowledge. Because mediumship is, is, by its nature, a being, a experiential type of activity.
0: Back to back now, two questions from listeners. And I'm very lucky at this point because both have actually taken the time to record these questions themselves. So pin your ears back, Max. This first question is from uh, one of our avid listeners, and this is from Anne Bennett. Here is her question.
2: I'm Anne Bennett and I live in Peterborough in Cambridgeshire. My um, question is for Maxine, is there anything in particular, a phrase that could be said to help enlighten everybody on this earth plane at the moment and have us all feeling at one with each other, feeling the love from God, our creator? whoever you want to call him, because I feel the world is very much in need at this moment in time, and I'd be very interested with the reply. Thank you very much. I don't know how she conducts her healing and her prayers. I might just suggest that every other day, every third day, whatever, instead of doing it the way she normally does it, perhaps let spirit guide her as a healing channel, to say a family, you know, be, be personal and directed in, in her prayers. Maybe she's that way al- already, but let spirit guide her and inspire her to give her healing, direct her prayers to people she doesn't know, people she might know, but in a very directed way. If her prayers are undirected, then, you know, every, every third night, direct your prayers and let spirit guide you wherever you want to go with it. I'm not going to put words in your mouth. Maybe she's working with a prayer list, a list of names. Maybe she knows some of the names already, or maybe these are names from her church or whatever. She doesn't know. So maybe she is working with a directed list to begin with. Maybe that's her her, uh, go-to pattern. And then I would say, shake that up a little bit every third night, every second night, fourth night to say, I'm going off script here. I'm going away from the, the prayer list and letting prayers go where they're intended to go in a totally undirected way. In that way, she should, in my opinion, and every prayer, or every healing is, is individually different anyway. And we know that. So, she might learn more about the energetic pattern of her of her healing by doing things a little different. One way is not better, worse than the other. But who knows, she might learn that there's, there's a different pattern or, or different things for her to take away from. How very lovely that she sits and prays and sends healing. And who am I to give her advice? But if I had to, I'd just say, Every so often do things a little different.
0: Okay, and here we go with a second question. This is also from a listener. And uh, by coincidence, this listener is also a partner. And this is from a lady called Joanne, who lives in the north of England in Cumbria. Here is her question. Hi,
2: I'm Joanne Galloway, a spiritual medium from Carlisle in Cumbria here in the UK. And my question would be, if you were to write me a spiritual bucket list, what would your top three things be that you would highly recommend for me to do and why? Her name's Joanne, right? Yeah. Joanne, I would say the first thing on your bucket list and hold on to your hat here is a saying from good old Dr. Wayne Dyer. He said, don't die with the music still in you. And as I said that I'm very much inspired. You know, if you have any type of ambition, suppressed, repressed, uh, desire to dance or have any type of musical inclination, don't die with that music in you. Get out and take that chance. Get get away from the trunk of that tree and be dancing on that far end of that uh, branch, so to speak. That's number one. Number two, it's again, don't take this as a trite comment but be always not so serious all right there's a an expression beginner's mind uh and you could google that in 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 zen or in buddhism and it's having that fresh um outlook like a naive child like a beginner and whether we're an expert at something or have uh, gone down the road a bit on a certain topic, don't lose the track that you're always a beginner and keep that attitude, you know, that attitude, whether you are in the same house, in the same area, in the same part of the world, you know, every day can be new because you have that beginner's mind. Okay. The answer is you don't have to rush away to Mount Everest but just have a a beginner's mind, that fresh outlook, and uh, the the commonplace neighborhood that you grew up in can be can be seen. The third thing of your bucket list is I'm seeing you on a bridge, and I and I'd like to say there's an effort of you to get there. For you, it's not a, a high mountain, but it's a it's a bridge, you know. You could say a bridge between two worlds. You could say a bridge between two cultures. You could say a bridge between two generations. You could say the bridge from the known to the unknown, this analogy of a bridge, and to really keep it in your bucket list, whether it's a it's a physical uh, bridge across the river Seine in Paris, you know, uh, or Thames in London, I just feel very good with bridges uh, with you. You shouldn't uh, you shouldn't pass up a good bridge, metaphorically or physically.
0: Well, do you know what, Joanne? I have to say that uh, uh, Maxine and myself, we were discussing this question yesterday, and it's interesting that you got a proper answer. You got a proper list there, things to put on your bucket list. You see, I was completely mannish about my answers. I gave answers that were... Well, a little bit silly, really, but my would have said top answer should be get to half affinity College and get and do some training. My second answer would have been something like get out and practice this as much as you possibly can. And my third answer would have been something like keep a journal, everything you do. But that's just me being my man-like ways, whereas I think um, Maxine has just given us some amazing answers there. Thank you very, very much for asking that question, Joanne. Now, back to you, Max. We've only got a couple more questions, if you don't mind. A few nights ago, I watched a series that's on television at the moment. It's on Netflix. Now, I know everybody will recognise the series. I'm not needing to mention it. But I watched a particular brilliant medium in the UK by the name of Libby Clark. And I watched her do a healing on the programme. She talked about her doctor guide that works with her. And she said to the man that she was healing, he's just arriving with his bag now. Now, that in a way, it suggests a question to me. And regarding most seances, where you hear of a chemist in the spirit world that's working to make and create the ectoplasm, does this mean that there is some kind of form in the spirit world to create these devices, like a doctor's bag? Is there some kind of equipment?
2: Yes, there can be objects, maybe not a hundred percent as we experience them in this world, in the next. So. There's different. There's a different way to to answer this. Of course, the experience is going through uh, Libby Clark's mind, okay, and maybe she doesn't understand what she's experiencing, and she's putting the label bag on it, okay, because in her mind, maybe she has an image of a of an old medical bag, you know, that the doctors used to carry on house calls. And maybe that's a hook in her mind that this experience is being filtered through. And the spirit world might actually have that type of bag. Or it might have another form, and it lets Libby recognize it as something similar. It might not be that shape at all, but if that's what Libby wants to uh, uh, work with, the, the spirit world might say, that's okay. We're, we don't have to refine that perception. Uh, she gets the gist of it, okay It would be a very odd day to confirm that bag. but if uh, a medium or a medium of uh, libby Clark's stature says that her spirit healer Dr. James is coming through with his his bag, that's what she's perceiving. These types of things do come across, but you know, who are we to say that this might be? this spirit doctor might might not need you know something to put his tools in, but this is the way he comes across. So I, I think I think we can get into the weeds on this one, but uh, suffice it to say that if the presence of the spirit world is there, you know this is one of the minutiae types type of details that might be good to talk about, but isn't really
0: important. My next question is a bit of a global question, really, because it's it's taking Anne's question from earlier on regarding this energy. We all go to the churches and we all hear that we have to give healing. And there's some medium on the stage that will say, and send the healing to your close ones, to those that need it. Spread that healing to the animals, to the weeds, to the trees and to the world and to the enemies. And it kind of dilutes so much that in the end, I think, I can't see how this can work. What are your views on that? And is there a benefit in this kind of thinking?
2: For those of us who do a lot of analytical thinking during our normal lives, whether it be numbers or data or processes and any any type of analysis, you know, any type of computation or calculation, sometimes when we go into a church... And before we hear the inspired address, uh, before we hear the prayer, we kind of need to check our analytical brain at the door, you know, because that kind of uh, changes our experience. If we constantly have to analyze and dissect and make sense in a very analytical way, everything that's being said from the said from the platform, whether it be a prayer or an address. So we, uh, as someone in the audience of a church service, kind of need to be relaxed and receptive and in a slightly altered state as well and, and not be so analytical. So otherwise, we, we will have a totally different experience from this. So when we take part as a uh, audience member in a divine service, you know, we also have to be in an altered state, a receptive state, and not to let our ego get involved and not to let our analytical brain, if we're to using one,
0: get involved. Now this is kind of, this is trivial. But do you think it's possible or even probable that the reason the leading powers of this world, the people that run the governments, the people that run the authorities, the reason they don't encourage education about the afterlife is not just based on the fact of mocking it as something fun, but that there is actual evidence to support it and that would change the world too dramatically?
2: You know... I'm not into conspiracy theories 100%. I mean, I think uh, the um, assassination of JFK was pretty shady, uh, but I did think that we went to the moon. However, I don't think we were alone when we went to the moon. So I, I'm open to some, some of the more tamer uh, conspiracy theories. And this reminds me of what's going on in America, in the deep states, and a lot of the conspiracies, uh, fringe uh, conspiracy theories. I think that that question is more toward the fringe side of conspiracy theories than than the tame side of conspiracy theories. I do think that governments all around the world keep secrets from their citizenry whether it be the UFO uh, issues or whether they spy on their own citizens. Governments are not very trustworthy, but I don't think that they have inside knowledge about the afterlife and are thus suppressing it. I, I, I don't. I don't.
0: I remember reading that R. Rorty, the, the royal family secretly have mediums that go to Buckhouse, Buckingham Palace, and do readings and talk about uh, the afterlife, etc. So there's a knowledge within the royal family. I remember reading that Winston Churchill used to have mediums and see mediums Absolutely. frequently. frequently. And then we've got eminent scientists of the past that have been involved in this work. I am forever reading of great educational and great representative people that have actually been involved and have explored this subject. And that's where I kind of think, "Mm, who's putting the ush -ush on this? Why isn't it actually, you know, more accepted than it is?
2: I think that the governments of the world uh, uh, know more than they let on about a whole host of issues, but I don't think there's an afterlife desk at the Ministry of Defence or Westminster, and uh, they're actively suppressing it. Yes, the royal family and uh, various prime ministers in the UK definitely uh, more than dabbled in this. Took great solace and devoted a lot of time and discipline to uh, interacting with with mediums, and it wasn't just a one-off. It was very much. Uh, uh, part of their lives. I, I don't think that they say, oh, we the common person can't do this because it would blow their mind and shake the church and uh, tank the stock market. I, this was about the same time that Estelle Roberts was uh, selling out of uh, Royal Albert Hall 27 times. So I don't think there was an active uh, suppression in any country about uh, afterlife.
0: You said there, the, there probably isn't a government thing. Well, you see, that's a good thing about it. If it's secret, who would know anyway? Who would really know? Anyway, I'm I'm jesting with you. We come to the very final question in this epic podcast, and I'm sure by now people will see why I ask Maxine to come on and why she's a guest. The knowledge is fantastic. But here's one to trip you up. Here's your last question from me today. Can you summarize to me what exactly constitutes evidence of the continuation of life after earthly body dies?
2: Trevor, we have been talking so much over the last few hours you probably have been tapping into my aura. All I can say is wait till November. And I will say that the uh, if you're listening to this show, there's a um, man in the United States who is a well-known millionaire has just funded an essay contest about the best evidence of the afterlife and what he's doing is stimulating the experts and anybody with knowledge in the field to construct a an essay about the best evidence of the afterlife and the prize money Trevor is more than 1 million US dollars so i have had my application approved and I'm sure you don't have to have a Harvard degree to get a, ha- uh, just go to the bigelowinstitute.com uh, website or Bigelow, B-I-G-E-L-O-W, afterlife essay contest, and uh, fill out the application and explain why you should be considered in your essay. And then uh, the winner will be announced in November. Now I am developing this essay and I don't want to let too many cats out of the bag, there is a whole host of of evidence from mediumship to near-death experience, uh, past life recall of children. There's new uh, research being done in EVP, electronic voice phenomena, or ITC. There's a whole host of, of evidence. I'm going to argue for a particular Oh, I'm not going to say too much more, but I'm going to argue, I'm going to answer the question, what is the best um, evidence for survival of human consciousness after bodily death? And I think that people need to understand the phenomena, the wide range of phenomena. What I will say, what the little kitten that I will let out of the bag is something that I learned in uh, parapsychology at the Ryan Center in Duke. There's a book called Conjuring Up Philip, Conjuring Up Philip. This was a group of parapsychologists in the 1970s in Canada, and they got together and God knows what motivated them. But they sat down and they created a fictitious, purely fictitious entity. Oh, what name should we give him? Uh, Philip sounds good. What century do you think he lived in? Totally, totally, totally fictitious. Now, I'm going to blow a lot of people's mind here because you did mention physical mediumship. In the book, Conjuring Up Philip, this group of parapsychologists started to do table tipping. Uh, they, They would ask yes and no questions. Philip, are you there? Da, da, da. You know, and how do you spell your name, Philip? P and going through the alphabet and listening for the tap, the the old-fashioned way in communication. Yet, they got all of this body of evidence seemingly confirmed. You know, yes, he lived in the 17th century. Yes, he was a cobbler. Yes, whatever all the fictitious characteristics were. But this was a made-up entity, totally made-up entity. And yet they got phenomena that reflected this. Now, how could this be? And if you dig very deep in the literature and even go to Tibetan Buddhism, you'll learn of a thing called thought form or zombie or uh, in Tibetan Buddhism, tulpa, T-U-L-P-A. And this is a fictitious, made up thought form, this energy that is created by a group that does not have consciousness, but yet had phenomena. So the group created their own poltergeist, in other words. So I look at some of the, even before this essay, competition, I look at some of the phenomena in physical mediumship, and I think that the thought form explanation could be valid as an explanation to the phenomena we see in today's physical mediumship circles, and some of them. I hope I, that hasn't gone over too many people's heads, but it it's as controversial as it is out there, because it's not really calling anybody a fraud. It's just saying the energy of the room through intention has created a fictitious artificial poltergeist without consciousness. You know, so phenomena, boil it down to my essay and boil it down to evidence. Phenomena is not proof of the afterlife. There can be other explanations for phenomena. So the best evidence of the afterlife, if you're talking about phenomena, is that evidence that shows consciousness. Phenomena by itself may or may not show consciousness, but phenomena that shows consciousness, and you have to... Tear apart that word consciousness and say, what does consciousness mean? How can we measure consciousness? You're going to have to read my essay in November and hopefully I'll get some prize, some of that prize money. But you see where I'm going here. The best evidence may be phenomena based, but it has to show consciousness. And then we have to have a mechanism to assess what type of consciousness, or what characteristic of consciousness it displays? Did that go over your head, or is it you you you're biting on what I what what I said?
0: No, absolutely not. I remember reading that story myself about five or six years ago, and that again using your phrase. Threw a lot of can of uh, another can of worms into my uh, scientific mind at the time. Um, no, absolutely not. And, and I'm very pleased you actually quoted that story, which I recommend, or that those facts, in fact, that I recommend our people read about. It, no, it's incredible. Uh, Max, we come back to where we started on this, and that is that anybody that's involved in spiritualism, into this in particular, have to uh, bring in an approach with them that the truth is not necessarily always going to be the truth. You have to, in a sense, put your truths in this field. You have to put them as fluid. They're truth for the moment. Tomorrow, they may not be true. And I challenged the listeners of this to make a note in their diary of when they've listened to this podcast for the first time. And I've challenged them to come back in five years and re-listen, if you can you know, remember to do that. And I know without any question of a doubt, that many of the questions that have been answered here now will either make complete sense to you then, or you'll have a different point of view, or even the answers will have changed. And that's the key with what we're trying to do here, is we're trying to uncover the truth. The truth is always going to be fluid, but we have to find our own truth levels. We have to find what sits right with us at this time but just don't set them in concrete. Uh, Max, you have given me a lot of time in this podcast. I'm delighted. I knew I was right bringing you into this. I knew that your super research, your Harvard degree, was exactly what I needed to sort me out and hopefully uh, help some of the listeners out today. I'd like to think, Max, that you'd come back and do this again in the near future.
2: I'd be pleased to. And thank you. Thank you for having this chat with me. And I. You know, I really, I said it before somewhere in the podcast, you know, I just hope that the people listening to this can be inspired, uh, just as I am inspired by most everybody I meet. So we all have uh, have ways of learning from each other.
0: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Maxine
1: Mayer. This presentation was made possible in part thanks to our contributing partners. Thank you your support. You've been listening to a spirited podcast here on spirited talk. If you want to find out more and how you can become one of our partners, visit us on spiritedtalkpodcast.com and spirited talk podcast is all one word. Finally, before you leave, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on whatever channel you listen to it on. From the guest today and your host Trevor, thank you for listening. Goodbye.